So Jacob, welcome to the podcast today. Uh, today we have uh, Jacob Bates with Common Grounds Workplace, and I'm excited to talk about his business and how I think he is both navigating disruption in the shared workplace uh, industry as, as well as uh, creating some disruption as well. So Jacob, thank you again for joining. Steve, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. and uh, look forward to getting into the conversation. Yeah. So tell, tell the audience, if you don't mind, a little bit about your background and what Common Grounds does. Yeah. So my background, I've spent uh, 20 years in the corporate real estate world managing global portfolios for big Fortune 100 companies like Nike, Cigna Healthcare, CBRE, and managing other accounts for them. And spending that 20 years on the occupier side of the commercial real estate industry, seeing the lens and how we solve for people management and space, mm-hmm. and then bringing that over to Common Grounds. And Common Grounds today is a next-gen property services platform, uh, described as a workplace as a service platform. And as we begin to take the physical attributes of the office and make them as a service for companies and their people. So, so when people hear workplace as a service, to help them visualize what that is exactly, um, basically, <laughs> you're creating uh, a soup to nuts workplace environment. You've got, you know, it's fully furnished. It's got all the tech in place for people to be able to just come in and, and operate immediately. Is that right? That's right. It, it's not only space as a service rather than signing a you know, long-term fixed life lease. It's also everything that goes on in the space as a service. So it's the food and beverage, it's the hospitality, it's the technology and IT, everything that you can imagine you need to actually work and operate in a workplace environment is as a service. It's yeah. kind of a bespoke model almost. Yeah. So how would you differentiate yourself from, say, like a Regis? So from Regis, you know, Regis has been around a long time and they've really one of the earlier pioneers in paving the way towards, let's call it flexible office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would probably more describe them as executive suite. We had a little bit of a glitch there. If you wouldn't mind, you know, rewinding maybe 10 seconds. Yeah, no worries. I'll maybe just start back with Regis. Yeah. So Regis was an early pioneer in the space. They really started as executive suites and were, have not navigated towards flexible office solutions. And really, we should describe this market from a product perspective as a flexible office solution for workplace. Okay. And so Regis is, has been, for the longest time, providing a touchdown space for that traveling executive or some smaller teams, they've gotten a little bit into the enterprise realm, but not as far as where we're taking it towards this, the entire workplaces as a service. And it's in partnership with the asset owner and the landlords who own the space and own the building. And so rather than being just in the product business and a physical product business or physical space business, we look at the industry as it being much more in terms of a service business and the space is just one attribute of all of those things that encompass the workplace. So, yeah. So give me an example of how your service would go beyond Regis. You know, what do you offer that Regis does not offer? Well, one of the things we're highly focused on, a couple of main differentiators is we're providing services, not just for the demand side of the equation. We're also providing services for the supply side. 
And so that is one differentiation, and then we're providing services on behalf of the asset owner Got in it. the asset to solve. At the end of the day, we're solving for companies and their people, but it is a service that the owner is looking to provide to those companies in order to attract companies and people to their building. That that's that's yeah, that's really interesting to me because I I didn't understand that about your business before now. So, yeah, I'm I'm not nearly as familiar with commercial real estate as you, but I, I know enough to be dangerous. And I know that, you know, the trends we've seen over the last decade to two decades with respect to more people working at home, you know, um, more job functions being able to be done remotely in general, uh, you know, you're seeing, you know, less, you know, more fractionalized, uh, businesses and, and, and less of a need for large commercial spaces on behalf of some tenants. So as a result, you know, some of these large office buildings have had some vacancy issues. And I'm assuming, you know, your model is designed to help solve that. That's exactly right. You know, I think the genie is not going back in the bottle when it comes to how the demand side of the equation is using real estate. They're using less and less of it. How talent is using the space. Yeah. But they're simply just not coming to the office every day. And that's created the opportunity to create a lot of efficiencies. It's also driving the need for owners to stop looking at the capital markets as their main customer, you know, getting the lenders to give them money to buy and mortgage the real estate mm-hmm. and focus more on the people who actually use it so that they can create an environment that attracts them to the office every day to be productive with the work that they're doing. Right, right. So you're... You know, whereas a, a WeWork, for example, um, you know, I'm looking at some of the images of your space online and it's beautiful and it's got a very modern look to it and similar in some respects to what a WeWork looks like. But but your model's a bit different because, you know, while WeWork goes to a building and says, OK, you know, we're just a tenant. We want to, you know, we want to chop up some space in here and, you know, sign a lease and then go ahead and sublease it out, I guess, or sign licenses um, to, to the tenants, um, you go in and actually work with the landlord to help them solve a problem and, and lease up space that otherwise might not be leasable. Is that correct? That's right. And so it's not only solving the problem for the owner, it's solving for the problem for the companies. Companies want shorter term leases or licenses. They want shorter term contracts on space. Yeah, And what's driving them is they, they, we used to think we could predict and look into the future and think that we can predict five, 10 years of the future. And that's, we've now come back to reality, I think, where we really can't see much more than five quarters in front of us if we're thinking about an enterprise company. Right. So as occupiers of space, that's hard for them to make those long-term commitments, especially when they're in a world <laughs> for talent. You know, they're most right. valuable asset at the end of the day is the people and that's going to become something that's going to accelerate and become even more important as we go into the next decade in the roaring twenties. Yeah. What's really interesting to me about your business, it fits, you know, right in the bullseye of the theme of this podcast, because, you know, I remember I'm a lawyer by background and I remember working with some uh, developers of commercial properties and owners of commercial properties you know, 15 years ago and people, these owners were really nervous. People were really nervous about the disruption that was occurring 
in the in kind of the way uh, businesses leased space and you know the way uh, people were you know reporting to work every day and you know there was a big concern that some of these big office buildings are, were just going to go vacant perpetually and um, I, I can see that the model that you have is kind of you know capitalizing on on that and it's actually making you know, turning lemons into lemonade here to some degree, you know, you, you, there's a, there's a whole new opportunity available because of what's happened, um, you know, over the last 10, 20 years in office space and, and you're coming in and really capitalizing on that. So do you see other players doing the same thing that you're doing right now? Well, you know, I think selfishly, I think we'll, we like to think we're a little bit of a head to say we're not, we're the, the only ones thinking about it. That would be probably a false statement. There are others, I think, thinking about it, I think what we're doing is definitely ahead in terms of our thinking and how we're going about activating the office and the real estate to become an ecosystem. Mm -hmm. One of our biggest things we're focused on is we believe and we're out to prove it is the office building in the future is worth a lot more than the office building of today. Once we activate it with different products and services, begin to really diversify it as an operating business rather than just a fixed asset, (coughs) The potential that has not only in terms of value, but the potential it has in driving productivity to companies and their people is enormous. Mm -hmm. So do do you feel like, you know, if you were to take a 10,000 square foot space, I don't know how, how, what's the footprint of your typical, you know, setup in, in, in one of the buildings where you're operating, how many square feet? It depends, but typically we are looking at, call it 30 to 40,000 square feet sitting inside of an asset. It depends on, uh, you know, working with that asset owner, what is the product mix? What's the demand for that product mix? Right. And we're going to see a place in the future where the product mix isn't just workplace. You're going to see a place where it includes certain hoteling, hospitality elements, certain co-living and residential elements, you know, most true mixed-use asset, you know, storage for, you know, the last mile delivery services, all kinds of things wow. are going to be coming to this activated asset. <laughs> so with that type of, uh, you know, multifunctional approach, I'm assuming that the dollar per square foot that the landlord is able to get out of the space using your approach is greater than, say, if they lease that same 30,000 square feet to, to a law firm. Hundred percent, and you know, I think we like to say we were proved it, but really, the Regis is the premier business centers. They proved that fifty years ago that you can get more dollars per square foot on a service basis, on a license basis, rather than a traditional basis. We were made it much more known, mm-hmm. publicly known, but it's now been proven. I think that's one of the silver linings in the whole WeWork thing is it's much more aware of, and there's the demand is now there for, and the demand is now coming from a credit worthy customer rather than as a basement or garage startup customer that they will pay more for flexibility for the same square foot. Mm-hmm. So why do you think, why do you think, you know, we work spiked the way it did and then crashed the way it did. Tell, tell me, you know, from somebody who's directly in that same business, you know, why, why, why such a volatile, uh, history there 
Well, I think it's a couple of things. You know, I think if you will go back and look at, at WeWork, they've definitely done some things that, uh, you know, we just spoke about a couple of them that were definitely several linings and definitely have proofed some of the concepts that we've all believed for over a decade in terms of how office space should be used and can be used. Some of the things that we've learned, I think, from the whole WeWork thing is in this business, which is a capital intensive business, especially if you're not partnering with the owners of the real estate, it's a growth for growth sake doesn't work. And you can't think that it's a technology company when it's really a real estate or property services company. Those are valued very differently. I think one of the things that I don't think it's pointed to enough is the valuations that were created for WeWork since 2016 really were two guys, you know, behind a closed door creating the valuation and pumping it up between the two of them. Uh huh. Nobody ever really came in and validated that valuation. Ex- so, explain what explain what you mean by that. Well, I mean, how do you come up with a forty-six billion dollar valuation and apply some sort of you know gross multiple revenue on something that isn't a technology play? Mm-hmm. And so, if you look at real estate services companies, the CBREs of the world, and you look at how they're valued, they're not valued like a technology company. They're valued differently. Right. But one of WeWork's <laughs> biggest challenges that they faced was all of the contingent liabilities and the leases they held. And those kind of came back, you know, I've been talking about FASB for 10 years and how having those things on your balance sheet eventually, especially if you have a lot of them, is going to come back to bite you. And I think we saw that a little bit with WeWork and having that much contingent liability on the books, it really came back to bite you. And that's where it's proven that the biggest asset class in the world, one of the most valuable asset class in the world, which is owners of real estate, you have to figure out how to partner with them, show them how you can share in the risk and the upside. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit here. So you, you're currently the CEO. Um, how did you get into this position? Have you been with the company a long time? I've been here three years. And so I was a hired gun, per se. Mm-hmm. And it was like part of my background was in corporate real estate and looking at the flexible office world and knowing that it was going to massively pivot away from the startup and small businesses and pivot towards helping supply, provide a space for credit worthy enterprise companies and their people. So, so who initially had the vision for this company and and are those, is that person or, or are those people still on board with the company? They are. So our investors are definitely on board with the company. They've been here since the beginning. Um, And they saw a similar thing in that there was a gap in the marketplace for something that was developed around something being a bit more enterprise grade and being able to provide something that, you know, not all companies want the beer and the atmosphere and the Right. They, they want privacy. They want digital and physical security. They want, you know, a, definitely a curated environment that is healthy and, and productive for their employees. And it's modern and all of those things are great. But they also are very particular about privacy, security, well-being. Um, and then they've got some other financial things they're trying to hit from a flexibility perspective. It's mm-hmm. able to create a space. So one of the things I always struggled with in my career um, sitting on the side of the occupier's seat with a, a corporate real estate executive seat was when you go to use some of the operators that existed, then you couldn't necessarily plug and play in the way I needed to plug and play from a 
physical digital security from a culture and brand perspective, all of those things didn't really exist. You were always modifying the environment to kind of blend with yours. Right. And then as the war for talent came, you really began to be pushed towards, you still wanted to use flexible office, but the challenge was you couldn't find a space that acted and behaved like an extension of your own headquarters. Uh-huh. And that's what we set out to build with Common Grounds was something that not only partnered with supply for the benefit of demand, but also was something that was truly plug and play that you could plug in your brand, plug in your culture, plug in your technology, your physical and digital security, plug in your people and they could go to work and it could act as if it was an extension of your HQ or better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, you know, some of the things that you've talked about, you know, just little uh, nuggets that you've dropped throughout the conversation about the different types of services that you offer and kind of how you position yourself in the market. It's really intriguing to me. I mean, the, the concept of having like a, a hub for warehousing, you know, for last mile delivery, you know, that's really interesting because you're, you're basically taking, you know, you're really taking the, the lemons and turning them into lemonade in that case. Cause it's this, you know, you're, you're bringing back the companies that left you uh, or left these landlords initially and, and giving them, you know, a better solution now. Um, and uh, it's, it's a, uh, a really brilliant concept. So where do you go from here? I mean, what do you, do you continue? You said we work scaled a little bit too quickly. Um, do you, do you have a, you know, game plan in place for the next, I'm sure you do for the next, uh, you know, 24 months and beyond? We do. We're much more strategic and targeted in our growth. And we have been from the very beginning where we're not just going to open a location to open a location in the market. It's much more about how do we align and drive value for supply the asset owner, the landlord, how do we, understand the demand in that market. What does it need? You know, is there a need in this market for last mile services? Is there a need in this market for enterprise plug and play flexible office solutions? Is there a need for co-working? The co-working is not going away. Mm-hmm. You know, I would define co-working as, you know, office infrastructure that's shared amongst multiple companies. There might be demand for that product in that market, in that building too. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it's more about how we're aligning with supply to drive solutions that will solve for companies and their people. And so we're very targeted. We're, we've got a pipeline of locations across the country. We, we may eventually go outside of the United States as we continue to grow, but it's much more strategic and intentional. Uh, it's probably the best word I would use is intentional rather than just go, go, go and burn, burn, burn. <laughs> if you were, if you were to describe, you know, the most, um, kind of advanced version of, of your platform or your solutions, you know, in the next three to five years, what does it look like? You know, you mentioned last mile delivery, you, you mentioned some hospitality type services, you mentioned, um, you know, the ability to maybe have even a residential component to this. Um, but tell me, tell me what your offerings look like in three to five years, in your opinion. Our offering is going to look much like a workplace as a service platform, which for us is a, you know, the most simplest definition is a next generation property services company and platform. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about all the things that we've talked about today, think about office buildings and the way they've behaved the last 50 years, they've behaved in a way it was sign long-term leases, get a long-term financial instrument, have it be forward valued, 
because that capital markets will give you money. And then let's just fix the lights as they break, fix the ceiling tile, maintain the property, make sure it doesn't burn down and do some good accounting. And that's the way it's been for 50 years. The challenge with that is that everything that's going on in the world, not only driven by technology, but the way people consume things today and what they're looking for in their lives has completely changed. Mm-hmm. And so the office building can no longer behave that way. It has to become productized. It has to become differentiated and become something that solves for last mile. That's going to be a huge problem. It's not going away. It's going to become a bigger problem. Mm-hmm. Can office buildings, given parking, is going to become less, a less and less requirement? Can we convert parking into last mile? Mm-hmm. Can we take a couple of floors and turn them into plug-and-play, enterprise-grade, flexible office solutions for those companies who want something less than a traditional lease? Can we solve for the startups and small businesses or the traveling executives through co-working? Can we solve some, some living situations through co-living? And you know, hotels and all of these things are gonna to come together. I think in three to five years, you know, Common Grounds is gonna become that platform. Our goal is to prove that the, what we're describing as a smart, activated building not only works, but it is valued more valuable to the owner, the capital markets, and the companies and their people. Right, right. You're like, uh, in a way, you're like the nitrous that a uh, a race car driver would put in the car. Like you, you, you know, for these office building owners, like they can plug you in and uh, probably really accelerate or turbocharge the. Uh, the revenue from their property. Um, you know, and I think that, you know, more and more people are going to want to do this. So are you, are you at a point where you need more capital to scale or, and if you do, do you go back to your existing investors or, or are you looking beyond that investor pool? Uh, we are looking for more capital to scale. The amount of capital we require going forward now that, you know, one of the silver linings, with WeWork that we knew was coming, we just didn't know when, um, was that the requirement for capital going forward is a lot less than it was in the past. You know, we were still in kind of a place where owners weren't still buying into the whole joint venture and let's activate the building. They loved the idea, they loved the story, but they've been this way for 50 years. So they're like, how long can I hold on to that? Right. What happened with WeWork was it completely pushed the industry in the direction we've been building our platform for which we've been talking about today, that requires a lot less capital for us to grow than it did in the past, significantly less. So we are out raising more money. Our existing capital stack and investors are going to participate in our second round, but we're looking for others to come in and invest with us who share our vision, share our passion for really changing office and changing the future of work and the future of office and creating a platform that can deliver value for all the constituent groups rather than trying to compete with the constituent groups. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I shared this with you before, but um, glass box law offers a portal system to companies that are looking to raise capital. And one of the reasons companies use that portal system is because it creates a very efficient way to, uh, to distribute an offering both to, investors in your existing network and then investors more broadly that you want to advertise to. And and a number of our listeners are coming to us because they, you know, want to hear about opportunities presented in that portal. So just, I want to ask you a couple questions just because I know that there are going to be listeners interested in this. So 
if you can share with me, is, is your, is capital a constraint to your growth right now? You know, are, are you growing at the rate you want to, or would you be growing even faster if you had more capital? Well, I think the most simplistic answer is the more capital you have, the, the more you can grow. Right. Um, is it a constraint? Not necessarily because we've been intentional about our growth, but of course, the more you have, the more you can do. And I think what we saw with, you know, we were tabling their IPO was the demand for what we built has just completely grown enormously. Interesting. Interesting. So um, how much you said you're out there raising money right now. What can you can you give us some indication of your current offering size? We're going to raise somewhere between 50 and 80 million for our second round. Um, for those who don't know, we raised 140 in our first round. Again, the, the need to raise that kind of money no longer is necessary. And so our target is somewhere in the 50 to $80 million range. And do you think you'll get most of that from your existing investor base or will you have to go out more broadly? They'll definitely participate. We are definitely looking to diversify that Series B round and include, you know, not only people who are passionate about what we're doing and believe in being able to change the office environment, but also people who maybe come from a little bit of a growth and real estate mindset. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <clears throat> Do you typically find that you have an easier time presenting to traditional real estate investors or more of the VC or private equity groups? That's a fantastic question. Wow. Um, it depends. <laughs> and I say that because, you know, I was talking to a asset owner the other day who was looking to invest in us and also do some joint ventures with us. They get it. So yeah. for them, it's, it's an easy conversation and it's actually an exciting conversation to have. I've definitely sat across the table from some asset owners who own very large portfolios who are still believing the world is flat and, um, they can be much more difficult conversations to have. Um, we've had some, some conversations like that, that we've turned the other side of the table and, and they've definitely began to believe in what we're doing. Uh, the venture capital groups, again, it's kind of mixed. You definitely could see people who get excited about the vision, about the passion, about the opportunity that lies in, in completely changing this entire industry. Um, and then some, it just kind of, especially, you know, there is a, I think there is a cloud over the industry right now. And some, it's, it kind of goes over their head a little bit. Yeah. I, you know, what I've said it a few times already, but what I really love about your business model is the fact that you're providing a service to building owners that, you know, really need an expert like you to come in and, and monetize space that oftentimes is laying dormant. And, uh, and I, so I think from that perspective, people in the real estate space are really going to understand your model. Um, and they're going to understand, you know, everything that I just said and how important that is. Um, yeah, 100%. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's one of our, you know, one of our differentiators is not only what we're building from a platform perspective, not only what we've done to the built environment, which is very uh, revolutionary next generation, but myself, my, my executive team, my management team, my board, we come from the cloth of real estate. We understand real estate. We understand how to underwrite it, how it works, how it behaves, how it will behave in the future. Uh, and I think if you look at uh, our competitors and you look at others in the industry, we're actually the only operator in the space with a platform that is led by real estate people for real estate people. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That, 
I'm guessing that you have uh, a, a little bit better pedigree than uh, some of the guys who are at least the founding uh, executives with WeWork. A little, little bit different pedigree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I haven't, you know, I probably should have asked this question earlier on, um, but tell, tell the audience a little bit about your geographic footprint, uh, where you've chosen to kind of deploy your, your business and, uh, where you hope to go from there. So we're all over the United States now. We started in Southern California, uh, and we grew kind of across the West of initially. We're now spreading and opening locations in Philadelphia, D.C., New York, Chicago, Atlanta. Uh, but so we're going across the country. We're going to be expanding that to North America and eventually globally. But we're much more focused on certain markets in the U.S. You know, we look at not only the supply side of the equation, but we're heavily looked at and focused on and even working with some occupiers on what is the talent look like and where is that demand going and what is that going to do to certain markets in terms of the take-up of real estate and how do we get in front of that to design and create the real estate that's going to be required for that talent-driven demand? Right. And so as companies start to look elsewhere out of areas like, you know, the Bay Area might be the best and the easiest example to point to as they start to look to place talent in other places or begin to have more flexible work programs with their existing employee base, where are they going to need to solve for those real estate needs? Right, right, right. That's smart. Um, so... As far as like um, thousands of square feet right now or millions of square feet, you know, where do you stand? What's your to overall footprint? Currently open and, and about to be operating is over half a million feet. We're, we're in a pipeline that's pushing north of going north of a million. Okay. Um, and so, you know, we don't have a necessarily, hey, we want to hit. Now, of course, in our growth and our strategic plans, we share with our investors and others. We have a certain number we're trying to hit in a couple of years. Um, but it's not, hey, let's go get 50 million feet tomorrow, become the biggest operator in the space, and let's surpass Regis and WeWork. That's, yeah. that would, there's not enough capital on the face of the planet to do that. Unless <laughs> you're, right? You have to be more intentional and do it with supply. Yeah, well, I think, I think in light of WeWork, uh, you know, everybody's going to really respect your approach. So, um, or in, in, the, you know, in the wake, I should say, of WeWork, uh, everyone's going to respect your approach. Um, Interesting, interesting stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, there's huge opportunities ahead and the methodical approach makes a lot of sense. Um, do you feel like, you know, th th there are any major challenges that would, uh, you know, potentially stop you from being able to execute on your plans over the next two to five years? You know, I think there's always going to be challenges that you have to figure out how to overcome and hurdle over. And um, I think any market industry and business is going to go through that. You know, I think everybody's expecting, you know, when is this next recessionary cycle going to hit? And, you know, I think to kid ourselves that we won't feel that um, would be a false statement. And so we've done some things to, you know, try to protect against that. And we're and that's part of why we built the platform we built rather than having a lot of contingent liabilities and only focused on a product business rather than a service business. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, it's yet to see what causes that cycle and what the, uh, you know, the main strains will be. Uh, but yeah, I think as you get away from the startups and you focus on the enterprise and you focus on solving for all constituents, supply and demand, then you, you begin to de-risk it more so than focusing on one thing. Right. Um, 
I think the other thing that's maybe a challenge right now is the existing cloud over the industry, given the shelving of WeWorks IPO. Uh, that will definitely fade in time. And there, like we've talked, there was a huge silver lining in that for us. But that's still a cloud that has to eventually dissipate and, and uh, something we're, we have to we talk about at great lengths. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, very, very interesting. I um, I really appreciate you joining the show today. and. Uh, you know, I look forward to following your business and perhaps, um, you know, perhaps we can even have you at one of our upcoming events. That sounds fantastic, Steve. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It's been a great conversation and I look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. Sounds great. Talk to you later, Jacob. Thank you.